0: It'll catch on fairly quickly that I am a feedback preacher. Uh, I want to know if you're living. I want to know if you're alive. I want to know if you hear it. Um, Yeah, we're going to already get going. Word's not even opened yet. Um, Part of that has to do with my personality, but honestly, a lot of that has to do just with the doctrine of God's Word. God's Word is living. It's active. It's not just that God spoke, but that He's speaking. He's speaking to us. And as worship is interactive, we want to interact with God as He's proclaiming His Word to us. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 17 through the end of chapter 2. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet, you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, we are asking that in this moment you would enlighten our souls to know and behold your glory. As miraculous as the resurrection was, so miraculous is it that we who are dead would come alive to you. You also must resurrect us, and we know you do so through your word. So do that, do that very thing this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe yet again, as we come more alive to your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Holy Spirit, we know you're at work, help us to trust you. We ask all this in the name of Christ, amen. The story goes that at one point, uh, a student at an armed forces academy At the beginning of his training, he was given a bunny. And in the process of this weeks-long training, he had the responsibility of taking care of this bunny, to feed it, to live with it, to get to know it, as it were. And he would be the master of the bunny. The bunny would be his. And finally, towards the end of this training the young man was sent into the wilderness for survival. And at the end of this time of survival, he was given the task of this, if you are to eat, something must die. Think about the heartache that that would be. But it is that principle there. If you're going to survive, something else must die. And that's what That's what this whole world is about. If we are going to live, someone else must die. That's what this day is all about. And it's not just that someone else must die, but he must also rise from the dead. You see, what's going to happen here with Jonah is this, is that Jonah is going to, as it were, die before he lives. He's gonna go down to Sheol, to the realm of death, before he is vomited back out onto dry land. And what I want you to see here is that there are phenomenal parallels between Jonah and Jesus. Because Jesus would ultimately go down to death and would raise from the dead. As we go through this, I'm not just gonna talk about what this meant for Jonah, I'm gonna talk about what does this mean for us today. So go back to chapter 1 verse 17. And the Lord appointed a, a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I love it there where it says it was a great fish. It's the same word for great that was used for the great storm and the great fear. Now there's a great fish. This is a foreordained fish. Meaning that before this event this was what God had sovereignly ordained to happen. But you might be wondering if this is true. Can we trust this? Is this not where the book of Jonah is just a parable? It's just, it's not literal. Actually, here's what's interesting, in 2021 there's a story about a man who, little before 8 a.m. on Friday, veteran lobster diver Michael Packard entered the water for the second time of the day As the article says, in something truly biblical, Packard was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. Packard says, all of a sudden, I felt this huge shove, and the next thing I knew, it was completely black. Packard recalled Friday afternoon, following his release from the Cape Cod Hospital, he said, I could sense I was moving, and I could feel feel the whale squeezing with the muscles of his mouth. Initially... Packard thought he was inside of a great white shark but he couldn't feel any teeth and he hadn't suffered any obvious wounds. It quickly dawned on him that he'd been swallowed by a whale. He says, I was completely inside. It was completely black. Isn't that crazy? Packard thought, I thought to myself, there's no way I'm getting out of here. I'm done. I'm dead. A real story. Now to be sure, he was only in there for about 40 seconds. But something even greater happens here. Because someone is in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. You see, this whole thing, it's supposed to sound ridiculous. It's supposed to be a miracle. Why? Because salvation is a miracle. Amen? It's supposed to not be able to happen because salvation on our own should not happen. And that's actually precisely why this is a historical, literal event. You see, Jesus himself says in Matthew 12, verse 40, for just as, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And really the question is this, are we going to take Jesus at his word here or not? Because Jesus treats this as literal, not symbolic. It is pointing to something even greater, but it's nothing less than the literal historical truth that Jonah is in the belly of a fish three days and three nights. The whole purpose, actually, in chapter two, verse ten, excuse me, chapter two, verse nine, we see that last sentence where Jonah prays, Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the whole point for as impossible as it would be for Jonah to survive, so impossible it is for us to make ourselves believers on our own. God must do it. God must bring salvation. One of the things we need to remember is this. Whenever we come to Scripture and we, we try to get God, as it were, out of theological jail, we typically end up in there. Whenever we try to just make everything really make sense to the human mind, we often find ourselves actually in more trouble. The question is this, do you take God at his word? It should sound crazy, because only he can do what he can do. Jonah's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Why why three days? Well, actually, in that culture, one person says, a person is considered truly dead after three days in the grave or the netherworld it's true that that's that's what they would have thought, but it's also pointing to someone else who would truly die. My friends, if Jesus did not truly die, then he did not truly deliver us. Jonah was part of something way, way bigger than just himself. This fish swallowing Jonah is actually this word for to swallow is actually a word used in other places in the Old Testament that is a sign of judgment. Because Jonah had forsaken his duty as a prophet. He'd been running away from God, and this fish swallowing Jonah is, it is showing us judgment. It's showing us what sin deserves. Every single one of us in here will be judged. Believers as well. The question is this, how will you be judged? Has the judgment already been pronounced on you? That in Christ you are righteous? Or are you still running away? But it is true that judgment is coming. And I think sometimes we can decry and say, well, that just sounds like fire and brimstone preaching. My friends, how unloving would it be if, 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 if we really did believe this, but we never talked about it? I remember... Thinking about this one illustration where, what if someone was tied down to a a railroad and a train's coming? I'm going to use Jonathan again. I used him this morning. I said I wouldn't, but I'm going to do it because I love you. Jonathan is, uh, I'll I'll, I'll be the bad guy. Jonathan, he's tied down to the railroad. What what would you say if as a train's coming, I was like, hey, um, it might be a good idea for you to get up. Y'all would think I'm like the most unliteral person ever, but like I'm crazy. There's a train coming. My friends, the judgment of God's coming. But there is a way for you to be delivered, and it's if you trust in the risen Lord. Jonah is seen here as being judged by God, but yet actually through this judgment, Jonah will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Praise God. That even through judgment, God brings salvation. Matter of fact, that's precisely how he brings salvation is through judgment. We see that it is the Lord who appointed a great fish. That word for a point is used four times in the book of Jonah, and it's always referring to God sovereignly using his creation for his purposes. My friends, God has this world and all creation under his control. It's a term that's that's used so that we might feel secure in his sovereignty. Sovereignty, as Spurgeon would say, it's a doctrine where at night you can lay your head down on that soft pillow. Because if you are a child of God, He's got you. And He will not let anything happen unless it is for His glory and your good in the end. It's interesting here that as the ship earlier in chapter 1 obeyed the Lord, now the fish obeys the Lord. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? Go swallow Jonah, okay. But it is also interesting here too is that Jonah in order to get on the ship don't miss this what did Jonah have to do to get on the ship he had to pay money right and that's exactly what our sin does sin makes us pay sin always takes out of us rather than gives to us and then it destroys us in the end it says here I can give you what you want it takes your life and then it says okay I'm going to kill you but did Jonah have to pay to get in the belly of the fish No. Because God's salvation is free. Amen? God's grace is free. God's not waiting for any payment on our part. He's not waiting for us to get our life together before coming to Him. He's the one who comes to us. He's the one who leads us to life. He's the one amidst all of our sin, despite all of our sin, He brings us deliverance. This is God's divine sovereignty at work in this foreordained fish. The, this entire event is in the hands of God. It reminds us of Peter's sermon in Acts 2. He says there in Acts 2, 23 to 24, he says this This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Whew. That is what, before all time began, before time existed, God ordained that Jesus would go to the cross to save sinners. Amen? God never has a plan B. And that's good news because if God had a plan B, then he would have a plan C or a plan Z. God has one plan. And nothing has... Psalm 115 says nothing can stop him from accomplishing his purposes. It's clear here that sin costs Jonah, but salvation is free. And, and once again, it, it reminds us here this. Doesn't this fish show us that God's ways are so much better? That running away from God does not give us what we want. He, Jonah says here, oh, where is it? Someone uh vain idols where is it oh there we go verse eight those who pay regard to vain idols they forsake their hope of steadfast love my friends running away from god loses the love you long for you see it costs jesus everything so that we might receive it for nothing that's how much God desires for us to be saved by free grace. There's also another thing before we go into the next section. Do you not see how eager God is to save the Ninevites? Don't miss that part. The Ninevites, which who, by the way, would, in several years from now, would end up destroying the northern tribes of Israel. But God still desired to show some of them mercy. My friends, you cannot outsend God's grace. You cannot do something that is too much for him to undo. He knows how to save you, and he himself desires to come and save you. That's the foreordained fish. But then we find Jonah in the depths of woe. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. You see, there, then Jonah prayed. And isn't that really interesting, considering what we've seen in the book of Jonah so far? Jonah fails to call out against Nineveh. That's actually, you see that word in verse 2 I called out to the Lord. Jonah fails to go and preach the gospel of grace to Nineveh. He fails to call out. Then he also, he fails to call out to God when he's with the sailors on the ship that's sinking. But now here he finally calls out. And isn't it true in life that sometimes God must bring a storm and a fish for us to call out to him? It it is his, his strange providence there That sometimes God wounds us further so that he can heal us. Sometimes he knows the exact thing that needs to happen in our life so that we might learn to actually depend on him more. What we're going to see later in this book is that it is actually as Jonah experiences more and more of God's mercy that he will grow to show mercy more. Notice also that what's different about this is that earlier when Jonah was in the boat, he was asleep, but now (laughs) that boy's awake. He's crying out because he feels himself to be on the edge of death. And that is also, once again, what trials can do for our faith, that it is actually when we're in the furnace that we feel the heat and we know our need for salvation. As strange as it is, god knows how to use trials in our life to increase our faith and make us more holy if you look at your bulletin here this is what's going to help us make sense of what's jonah thinking because it says jonah prayed to the lord his god from the belly of the fish and then he's going to say in verse two out of the belly of sheol Well, when God created the world, I'd mentioned this a little bit earlier in the sunrise service. When God created the world, he created the world in three different realms. The heavens, the earth, and the sea. But then when sin came into the world, then it was under the sea. That would be known as the realm of Sheol, which would be death. You actually see that in that picture there in your bulletin where you see the mountain of God, which is where God's presence would have been, the, 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 the heavens there, and then the earth, and then the sea, and then you see that awesome little alligator figure and then Sheol right there, right? So when Jonah is crying out from the depths of the sea, he sees himself as being on the verge of death. It is actually very interesting the parallel here with Jesus because as Jonah prayed in the face of death, didn't Jesus as well? Jesus prayed in Luke 23:34, "Father, forgive them for they know not what they do." Again in Mark 15:34, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Again in Luke 23:46, "Father, into your hands I commit my spirit." Jonah prays from the depths of death, from the depths of woe, and what that is doing is that it's foreshadowing the one who would ultimately pray in the face of ultimate death. What's interesting, though, about Jonah's prayer is that you actually don't see much of a confession of sin here. Whether that's actually supposed to be brought out in the text there, or if it's just a Maybe just a little bit of speculation, but even if it is speculation, I think the truth is that don't we also at times want God's blessings and God's salvation more than we want God? You see, what it means to be a believer is not just that you want heaven just for heaven's sake without God, that you want God and you want to be in heaven because God's there. The whole point of the good news of salvation is this. We once lost God. Salvation means we get him back. That's what we need to see. That's what made the cross so so horrific for Jesus because it was on the cross that God turned his back on his son and poured out his wrath. That's why we can say on the cross Jesus took our hell so that He might give us his heaven but what about Jonah's prayer here first off we see that Jonah is showing us that rebellion is never preferable to obedience Jonah says there in verse 2 I called out to the Lord out of my distress meaning misery or anguish sin feels comfortable at first but eventually it ends in anguish Sin, we see, also leads to death. That's where he says, Out of the belly of Sheol I cry, talking about death. We know that from Romans 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. Verse 3, we see that sin leads to judgment. It says, You cast me into the deep. Sin also leads to the loss of God's gracious presence. You see that in verse 4. He says, I'm driven away from your sight. You see, you see, What is Satan's great lie to us today? His great lie to us is this. If you take a bite of this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. If you indulge in this one passion of the flesh, you'll get the rest and the pleasure that you really desire. Just indulge, just take the fruit and eat and you will be like God. That's his lie what he said to adam and eve in the very beginning he says you're not going to surely die see god knows that if you actually indulge in sin you'll actually be more than who you can be but the problem is that sin decreates us it destroys us what we need to remember about sin is this that whether it's, quote-unquote, small sin or big sin, whether it's heinous sin or, quote-unquote, respectable sin, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us will be judged, and we will be found wanting. All of us will die, and we will lose God's gracious presence if we remain in our sin some of you've heard me give this illustration before but i remember when i was in preaching class in seminary and one of my classmates gave his sermon and in his sermon he gives this phenomenal illustration about how antifreeze actually has a sweetener to it so that as if you were to drink antifreeze it tastes sweet going down but it destroys you within And that's what sin does. Sin tastes sweet at first. One look feels nice at first. One word satisfies you at first. But then sin slowly but surely destroys you from within. And the more you drink it down, the more destruction there is. Sin can either kill you as quick as the speed of light, or it can kill you as slowly as a disease over many years. But sin always leads to death. That's why Jonah is saying rebellion is never preferable to obedience. But we also see a theme here in Jonah's prayer of God's creation and re-creation. It's interesting that when God made the world, you see in Genesis 1 and 2 that God brought chaos to order. And he did so by speaking things into existence. And then you also read in Genesis 1 and 2 that the Spirit hovered over the waters. God is always the God who brings order to chaos. But what does sin do? Sin reverses that. Sin takes God's order and goes to chaos. And it does so by ignoring the Holy Spirit and his word. See, life never goes good for us. If we don't take God at his word, it never goes well for us if we believe lots of God's word, but not all of God's word. Inevitably, that leads to chaos. And what Jonah has done, actually, which is so interesting, is that he left the presence of God. He left the heights of the mountain where the tribes of Israel were, and he's gone down into the depths of the sea into chaos. And how has he done that? He did that by ignoring God's Word and God's Spirit. You see that, right? That's the picture. Ignoring God's Word, ignoring God's Holy Spirit always leads to death and chaos. My friends, let's make no mistake about what's happening in a lot of what we see on the news today. Do you not see what's happening in our lives, in our local area, in our impersonal lives, and throughout the world, what's happening when we ignore God's Word? chaos But here's what's fascinating about Jesus. Jesus left the orderly realm of heaven to enter into our chaos. Amen. Jesus perfectly obeyed the Father and came to earth. Lived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he came to us as the word of God so that he might rescue us from our own chaos. That's what it means that whenever God saves us, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Amen? We become new when we get Jesus. He gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us the word. He does that for the first time, and then He will do that continually through our lives. Let me ask you a question. What is happening in this moment right now? I know Easter lunch is coming. You're going to get there in a second. What's happening here right now? The Word and the Holy Spirit is at work. Isaiah 55:10 10-11 says, For as the rain and snow comes down from heaven and does not return there, but it waters the earth first, making it bring forth uh, and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, as sure as that process is, so shall my word be. When it goes forth from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it will succeed in the thing for which I sent it. None of you, none of us will leave this room changed. The question is this, what type of change? Because if we have the Holy Spirit and we receive God's word by faith, God is recreating us, amen? No matter how far into the depths of woe our sin has brought us. But if we don't believe, then the word is doing the opposite effect. It's bringing judgment. This is why God calls all of us right here, right now, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. As preachers used to say, tomorrow is the devil's day. Today is the Lord's day. Believe now. Because when you do the words at work, it recreates you and Think about what will happen in Stillwater as you continue to soak in the grace of the gospel as we collectively then go forth as recreated people. That's why we can take confidence that whenever we walk in here, no matter how distracted we might be or how downcast we might be, that God will always do His work. We also see from this prayer that God brings salvation through judgment. You see in Verse 4, Jonah says, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Verse 6, Jonah says, he's at the root of the mountains. I I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. Verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Verse 9, but I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you, what I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. We actually see here in Jonah's prayers that he has confidence that God will save him. Jonah, by God's grace, will see going, he, he'll see himself going from the realm of chaos to restoration. And see, this is where Jonah is a small picture of who Jesus would be, Right? There is no resurrection unless there is death. There is no justification unless there is atonement. There is no forgiveness of sins unless someone is condemned for them. And what it means to be a believer is that when you trust in Jesus, you trust that He took the chaos of God's wrath instead of us. Amen? That's actually what it says in Romans 6, that when we become united to the risen Lord, when He died, we died. And because He lives, we live. We get His life. His death brings life to us. His chaos brings order to us. His exile brings restoration for us. It's amazing because we see this picture of of Jesus in such a contrast to Jonah. As Jonah was faithless. Jesus was faithful. But yet on the cross he was treated as if he was unfaithful like us. Listen, I want you to listen to this quote from Martin Luther. The whole emphasis on the phrase for us means this. Christ is innocent so far as his own person is concerned and therefore should not have been hanged on the cross. But because of the law, every thief should be hanged. For Christ bore the person of a sinner and a thief, and not of just one, but of all sinners and thieves. For we are sinners and thieves, and therefore worthy of death and eternal damnation. But Christ took all of our sins upon himself, and for them died on the cross. And on the cross, by virtue of substitution, he is made to be a sinner. He becomes a former blasphemer like Paul. He becomes a denier like Peter. He becomes an adulterer and murderer like David. Who who are you? What's the sin in your life that maybe you walked into the sanctuary just hoping you would forget and no one would remember? Because what happened to Jesus on the cross is that he became that So that you might be saved. Amen? It's amazing what has happened on the cross. That even though he was faithful, he was judged as if he was faithless. He kept God's covenant so that he might deliver us from having to earn salvation. But he also took the curse of the covenant. You see, if Jonah was going to be saved, he needed a better covenant representative. God. Because Jonah in his works, he could not stand before God. But if someone else obeyed for him, he could. And that's what we see in this prayer of Jonah, is that salvation comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. My friends, only God can save you. But yet no one desires to save you more than he. You you need to also ask this question. What's happening in this moment? This is not me getting up on my own will to just give you my thoughts. Preaching is an ordained moment from God to proclaim to his people saying, this is true for you. Amen. He is telling you that if you trust in Jesus, this is your reality. God is calling you, commanding you, saying, believe and you will be saved. I require nothing else of you but just faith in the Son. That's what's happening here. God in this very moment is showing you His love by saying, come to me. I'm here to save you. That's what he's done with the fish. That's what he's done in Jonah's prayer. But then look at verse 10. We also see a miraculous deliverance. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Once again, not only did the Lord appoint a great fish, but now the Lord spoke to the fish. Once again, it is God's sovereignty. It is his control that is so evident here. When Jonah... Could do nothing. God did everything, right? Isn't that true of our salvation? Ephesians 2 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. What could a dead person do who is lying right here on the ground? What could they do if Jake walks up and says, Hey, my name's Jake. What's your name? You would think. We probably need to send Jake somewhere to get some help. Because they cannot respond. They don't have the ability. And that's the truth of who we are spiritually before Jesus Christ. We don't have faith just within us that we just need to use. There is no ability of our own. And that's why in Ephesians 2, 5, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Amen? Do you know what the good news of that is? If God saved you then, do you think that any of your sin after that can somehow make Him say, well, Jonathan, you went too far this time. No! No! If he saved you then, how much more will he save you now? We're not saved by our works. We're not even saved by our act of faith. We know actually in Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 that it says that God gives us the gift of faith. Isn't it awesome that God wants to give you faith so that you might believe? Oh, sinner, don't you see God's heart for you? You think that maybe your sin has disqualified you. That maybe this was the last straw. But God's pursuing you. God is bidding you. He's wooing you to come to him. Because if God desires to save you, he will save you. And that's what he did with Jonah. We also see this in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus. You see, when it says there that the fish vomited Jonah out upon dry land, if you would, I'm not going to make it gross, but just entertain me for a second. Vomiting is spitting something out of your body that your body thinks should not be there, right? Acts 2.24 says, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Death, vomited Jesus out because he should not be there. Amen? Because he's righteous. The wages of sin is death. He did not sin. But he took sin upon himself and went down to death so that he might bury it, finally, forever. But then he rose. And because he rose... He put sin to death and he rose to be your righteousness. Now you need to not fear. He's for you. The resurrection of Jesus shows us so clearly that by grace we can be saved. See, it means today that if you believe in Lord Jesus Christ, as Romans 6, 5 says, if you have been united with him in a death like his, you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. That's why we say that Christians are born again. We come alive. My friends, when you believe in Jesus, you come alive to God. You're, yeah, you're gonna have moments in your life where you'll continue to run away, but you learn more and more that as surely as Jesus rose from the dead, so surely will we one day rise from the dead. Amen? 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two says, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. My friends, in body and soul, all God's children will be saved. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing to think that our bodies, no matter how broken they might become, if we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be glorified as he is glorified? See, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can know for a fact that where he is, one day we will be. That's what's so amazing about the book of Jonah, is that it's so much looking forward to the greater Jonah who would actually be faithful to God's plan to redeem us. That's how much he desires to save his people. On November 13th, 2021... Mike Purdue was one of four people killed in a small plane crash near Michigan's Beaver Island. There was only one survivor in the crash. It was Mike's 11-year-old daughter, Lainey. And when Miss Purdue heard about the crash, she rushed to the hospital to see her daughter. The mom said, Lainey told me in the hospital that her last memory is that her dad just grabbed her and held her really, really tight. And she said, in my heart I knew that I protected her. Matter of fact, she was right. Because Lainey Purdue was injured only on one side of her body because that was the side her father held her in. My friends, it was by the death of Mike Purdue that Lainey Purdue could live. But here's the thing about what happens in Jesus Christ. It is by his death that he covers not just some of us, but all of us. And it is by his resurrection that even when we die, we will live again. Amen? That means you need to look to the Lord Jesus for your salvation. All those who are in Adam will die, but all those who are in Christ shall be made alive. If you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, judgment is coming. But if you do, you will be judged to be righteous. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we're asking that you would grant us the faith to believe. To believe in the risen Lord. Father, you desire for their salvation more than any of us desire for our salvation. Oh, would you help us to look to you. Do your work as surely as you raise the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask all this in his name, amen.